Amen. All right, verse 1. The Bible says, And when they came nigh to Jerusalem, unto Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sendeth forth two of his disciples. Together, verse 2. And saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as ye be entered into it, ye shall find a colt tied, whereon never man sat. Loose him and bring him. And if any man say unto you, Why do ye this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him, and straightway he will send him hither. And they went their way, and found the colt tied by the door, without in a place where two ways met, and they loosed him. And certain of them that stood there said unto them, What do ye, loosing the colt? And they said unto them, Even as Jesus had commanded, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus, and cast their garments on him, and he sat upon him. And many spread their garments in the way, and others cut down the branches off the tree, and strawed them in the way. Let's read verse 9 together. And they, sit, and they that went before, and they that followed, cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Amen. Well, I've entitled the sermon just simply this, Simple Truths about Palm Sunday. We're going to look at four simple truths about Palm Sunday this morning. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us here in this place for such a time as this. And we do pray, Lord, that uh, the message would speak to each of our hearts. Thank you for how your name has been lifted up. I can't wait for the day that we sing all hail the power of Jesus' name in your very presence. And we get to crown you with many crowns, the Lamb upon the throne. Lord, we look at your triumphant entry into Jerusalem this morning. Help us as we look at the uh, characters involved and, Lord, gather the truths from their lives and help us to analyze our own hearts and leave here today determined, Lord, to be obedient to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, the story of Palm Sunday is very simple, very simple. Jesus had his disciples, um, a couple of his disciples, go and get a, a colt or a young male horse that no one had ever sat upon. And Jesus used that colt to make his triumphant entry into Jerusalem just days before he would be arrested, beaten, and crucified. Uh, upon his entry, those that loved him would stand on the outskirts of town and lay their palm branches along the path. I, I believe it's uh, pretty easy to assume that song and dance was the atmosphere as Jesus was coming into town. And the people, as Jesus walked through the, the palm branches waving and being laid down in the path there, the people sang and praised the Lord. And they cried out, uh, the Bible tells us here in Mark 11, saying, Hosanna! Hosanna! Blessed is He that cometh! In the name of the Lord. It would have been quite a sight to behold. Now we know this to be the pinnacle of the public ministry and praise of Jesus. Just on the other side of this wave of praise would come a trough, a deep trough of suffering and death. Now on the surface, this story seems almost too simple. From a preacher's standpoint, I have preached this passage or similar ones in other Gospels a couple of times since I've been the pastor here. And you wonder how many sermons can you get out of one passage. And so I began to pray and ask the Lord what He would have me to preach. I felt this was the passage He wanted me to preach out of. And so I began to meditate on the story. And God gave me some very, very, very simple insights. Uh, I would like for us to look at the various characters and the animal in this story. And I'd like us to um, see some vital truths that we can take from the passage and put into practice into our own lives. So let's look closely at Mark 11 and see four simple truths about Palm Sunday. All right. First of all, notice this is a story about trust. This is a story about 
trust. And so let's take a minute and let's look at the disciples in the story and their interaction with Jesus. Notice letter A, the divinity of Christ. The divinity of Christ. Mark chapter number 11, you're there in Mark chapter 11 in your Bibles. Look at verse number 2 and verse number 3. The Bible says, uh, speaking of Jesus, and saith unto them, go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as ye be entered into it, ye shall find a colt tied, whereon never man sat, loose him, and bring him. And if any man say unto you, why do ye this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him, and straightway he will send him hither. Now, uh, Jesus knew that there would be a colt. He knew where the colt would be. He knew that the colt would never have been sat upon. He knew that the disciples could just take it without asking. And uh, if they were inquired about, that all they would have to say is the master needs him and there would be no fight, there would be no problem. Jesus was 100% and is 100% God. He was 100% and is 100% God. But yet Jesus was also 100% Man, he uh, was a human, he was a man, and he was God all at the same time. You say, Pastor, that breaks my faculties. Pastor, I have a hard time comprehending how he could be both. And I would say, that's what makes him God. Amen? If you could wrap your mind around God, then he wouldn't be God. He is bigger than us. He is greater than us. And Jesus shared a duality of being 100% man and 100% God all at the same time. Someone wrote a cute little song a while back, and the tune is fun, but the the doctrine of the song is really deep, and I'm going to tip to sing it for you. Okay, it goes like this. He was so much man that he slept in a boat, yet he was so much God that the wind ceased when he spoke. He was so much man that he thirsted at the well, yet he was so much God that he saved her soul from hell. He was so much man that he wept when Lazarus died, yet he was so much God. Lazarus came forth when he cried. He was so much man that he died upon a tree. He was so much God that he rose in victory. Isn't that great? Jesus is man and God. Don't clap for my singing. Amen. There's not much to clap for there. But the song is great. Amen. And... um. Listen, when you're not a singer and you put yourself out there like that, it's a, anyway, uh, but listen, Jesus was all man and all God at the same time. And understand here, um, in fact, turn over to John chapter number 10. And we, we smile and, 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 and find joy in the fact that Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. But understand that while Jesus was walking the earth, this was a point of division and contention. This was a point that got Jesus nailed to the cross. The fact that a man would claim to be God, they would nail Jesus to the cross, and his crime would be blasphemy. Blasphemy. Look at John chapter 10. Jesus is having a heated debate uh, with the religious sect of his time. Look at verse 29. Jesus says here, My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. And then Jesus makes this statement, I and my Father are one. I and my Father are one. Jesus said, I am God. I am God. Jesus knew right where the donkey would be. He knew that the owners of the colt would not put up a fight when it was taken, but that their hearts had been prepared for the animal to go. And so we see the divinity of Christ. But this is a story about trust. Letter A the divinity of Christ, let her be noticed, the duty of the disciples. The duty of the disciples. Look down at verse number 4 of Mark chapter 11. The Bible says, And they went their way and found the colt tied by the door, without in a place where two ways met, and they loosed him. And certain of them that stood there said unto them, What do ye loosing the colt? And they said unto them, Even as Jesus had commanded, and they let them Go. Now, it doesn't tell us which disciples were sent, but suppose for a moment that it was Peter and John that Jesus had sent to gather the donkey. Now, I don't know about you, but it would be a little intimidating walking up taking an animal off of someone else's property that you didn't know. Now, I want you to imagine with me that we have a work day 
here at White Oak Baptist Church. Saturday, we're going to clean up the property. We're going to do some things. And, you know, we're going to scrub the windows down extra good. And, and let's say it's the middle of the summer and the lawn needs to be cut. And, and uh, we go and, and, and open up our work shed and we pull our lawnmower out and, and it's gone kaput. It just is just decided to give up the ghost right on the work day, right when we need it. And I look at a couple of you and I say, go down to the end of Main Street Putney. You'll find a red house on the left, and I want you to walk into the barn door is going to be open. I want you to walk in the barn door. You're going to find a three thousand dollar lawnmower sitting there, and I want you to get the key. You'll find the key in the ignition. I want you to get on that lawnmower and turn it on and drive it up Main Street Putney and start cutting the lawn. And you look at me and say, "Do you know them?" And I say, nah, I don't know them. But you know what? I know their hearts are prepared. And if they ask, why are you taking our lawnmower? Just look at them and say, the pastor hath need of it. (laughs) You say, pastor. I I love you and all. I, I don't think I'm going to go steal someone's lawnmower for, on your behalf. And so, listen, for the disciples, for them to go forward with taking this donkey, they had to really believe that Jesus was God. They had to believe that He was the one that owned the cattle on a thousand hills, and the colts, and the donkeys. Amen? They had to believe that if they went and took that, Everything was. Can you imagine approaching that property? Can you imagine thinking, uh, are we going to get in trouble for this? Is he going to have to come bail us out of prison? And they walk up and they took it and they trusted the Lord. And you say, well, but pastor, they knew that Jesus was God. How much trust was it really? Turn, turn over to Matthew chapter 8 in your Bibles. Matthew chapter 8. Um, understand that as they had walked the planet with Jesus, had walked Jerusalem with Jesus, they had become very familiar with the humanity of Christ. Uh, You understand, Jesus slept like they did. He ate like they did. He got sick like they did. Uh, He bled like they did. Uh, He wept like they did. Uh, He rejoiced like they did. And it's easy when you are uh, rubbing shoulders with someone for three years to forget that, yes, this is the God-man. Yes, we believe that this is the Messiah, the Christ, but it can be easy for all that to get lost. And we see in Matthew 8 that very thing happened. Look at verse 23. And when he was entered into his ship, the disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, and so much that the ship was covered with the waves, but, uh, but he was asleep. And the disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he saith unto them, Why are ye so fearful? O ye of little faith, then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm, but the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Can you imagine being there that day and the water's boats filling up with water and 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 rocking back and forth and maybe the, there's a tear in in the mass and 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 Jesus is asleep on a pillow and they wake him up and say, "Master, we perish." And he 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 stumbles toward the edge of the boat and he says, "Peace, be still." And immediately the storm ceases. Now I want to make a strong point here. This is a sermon about trust, a story about trust. Why did the disciples walk on someone else's property and take an animal that did not belong to them? Why were they willing to go through with that when you wouldn't go take a lawnmower on my behalf? Can I tell you why? For three years they had built up experience after experience after experience. And through that experience they could trust Jesus more and more and more. Can I just say to you this morning, if you're new to the faith, the longer you spend obeying the Lord the more experiences you'll, you'll gain, and the easier it will be for you to trust Him. Trust the Lord. It's your duty. Listen, it's not your duty to understand all of the reasons why. How many of you here have, either have teenagers in your home or have had teenagers in your home? Would you raise your hand? How many of you know what I mean when I say teenagers seem to think they need to know every detail of every reason as to why you're telling them to do 
what you're telling, how many of you can concur. That's how it works, right? Well, why? Well, why? Someone quipped one time that when a four or five-year-old asks why, they think it's because you know everything. When a 14 or 15-year-old asks why, it's because they think they know everything, right? And uh, why? Why? They want to know every detail, every detail, every detail. And listen, it's not just teenagers that are that way. Have you ever had your boss pull you in his office and tell you, I want you to do this, and it just doesn't seem rational? It doesn't seem that it should work? And, and you want to know the backstory. You want to know the reasons why. And sometimes the employer can tell you, and sometimes the employer can't tell you or, or won't tell you. And listen, uh, it is not your duty at work to understand why it's your duty duty to do what you are told. And listen, Christian, you don't need to know all of the reasons why God says do this, do this, do this. It's your duty to just trust. He is the Lord. He is supreme. I don't need to have it work out with my rationale or my logic. If God says to do it, then sign me up. I'm going to do it because it is my duty to trust the Lord. This is a story about trust. Those disciples went and got the colt, and Jesus made his triumphant entry on it. Had the disciples not been willing to trust the Lord, the story could have played out very different. So we see from the disciples' standpoint that this is a story about trust. But also notice, this is a story about obedience. This is a story about obedience. Um, Let's talk about the colt that Jesus came riding in on. Let's turn our attention to this donkey, this animal. Now we know that the Lord has used a donkey or a colt type animal. You remember back in uh, uh, Balaam in the Old Testament and uh, Balaam was trying to, the donkey was trying to save Balaam's life. And so we've seen this before. And Listen, the, God is not just the God of me and you. God is the God of the animal kingdom and the plant kingdom as well. And he can use whatever it is. Um, uh, let me, let's look at uh, an A to B about uh, this obedience. Letter, notice letter A, the characteristics of a cult, the characteristics of a cult. Look down at verse number 2, Mark chapter 11. It says, And saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as ye be entered into it, ye shall find a cult tie. Look here. Whereupon never man sat, loosed him and bring him. Now, uh, colts are young male horses. Young male horses. How many of you are um, uh, not so city that you understand you can't just sit on a horse that's never been broken in without getting bucked off? How many understand that? If you sit on a horse that's never been sat on before, that's not going to work out so well for you. There is a process of breaking in horses, and they call it breaking them in. Why? Because colts, young male horses, are self-willed and stubborn. And the ladies are thinking, it's not just young male horses that are self-willed. It's uh, young males that are self-willed and stubborn. And I've got an old male, and he's still self-willed and stubborn. You should meet my husband, some of the wives here are thinking. Uh, A young colt is like a young child. They buck authority. They do not want someone riding them or telling them what to do. A young colt, just like a young child, must have their sinful will broken down so that they will become obedient to God-given leadership. Take your Bibles over to Proverbs chapter 22. Proverbs 22. It is in our nature to sin. I have noticed a trend in uh, America, the Western culture, And it is that the worse parents are at disciplining children, the worse behaved those children are when they become adults. This has been an ongoing problem for probably three generations strong where we don't like to be told what to do because we didn't listen to our parents tell us what to do when we were little. And I'm speaking broadly here, obviously. I'm speaking broadly, but... uh, We don't like strong preaching because we didn't like parents being strong on us or any form of authority being strong on us. We don't like having, uh, we don't like being told no because uh, we got our way when we were little. And listen, this is not the model the Bible lays out. Look at Proverbs 22, look at verse 15. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it from him. 
Now, I'm not as much focusing on the rod this morning as I am the part about foolishness. We are all born with foolishness in our hearts. We're all born with a a tendency to want to do our own thing and push away from authority. Look at Proverbs 13 and verse 24. Proverbs 13 and verse 24. We see the characteristics of a cult, and that is rebellion, that is self-will, that is stubbornness. It's not just of a cult, it's also of you and I. We don't want someone writing us. We want to buck off authority. We want to do our own thing and go our own way. Look at Proverbs 13, verse 24. He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. If you've ever watched a colt or a young horse being broken in, there is a a process, a long process they go through to get that horse, to get that uh, uh, donkey, to get that colt uh, to break and to do exactly what it's told. And they put a bridle in the mouth of that animal and all they've got to do is give a slight tug on the reins to the left or the right or both and they can dictate uh, the very movement of that animal with just a slight tug because that that uh, horse has given in its will to the master, to its owner and says, I will do what I'm told. Now, this colt is brought to Jesus. This colt has never been sat upon. It's never had its will, sinful will, if you will, if I could humanize it for a moment, broken. But uh, it's brought to Jesus and notice letter B, notice the compliance of the cult. The compliance of the cult. Look at verse number 7 of Mark chapter number 11. Mark chapter 11, look at verse number 7. And they brought the cult to Jesus and cast their garments on him and he sat upon him. Now, nowhere in this passage does it imply or allude to any idea that this colt threw Jesus off of him and threw Jesus to the ground. This colt, Jesus sat on it, and this colt right away submitted to the authority of the Messiah. It did exactly what the Messiah wanted. It knew, this colt knew, that its purpose was to give the King of Kings and Lord of Lords a ride into Jerusalem. And he did not one time buck that calling. He did exactly what he was told. White Oak Baptist Church, are you submissive to God's leading in your heart and life? Or do you buck off biblical truths and biblical authorities to live life the way you want? You know, Jesus wants to use you to accomplish a purpose just like he used this cult. But oftentimes we're busy bucking and bucking and bucking doing our thing, going our way. Turn over to Romans 6. Romans 6, we're going to look at three verses out of Romans 6. Romans 6, we'll look at verse 13, verse 16, and verse 19. The key to the Christian life is to yield. Yield. I was getting on Highway 15 about a month and a half ago. And normally when I get on Highway 15, I leave the church parking lot here. I go to the end of Main Street Putney and I take a left at that light and you pull up to that next light going 15 north and, and, and there's a delay. The light turns green and then you take the left. And if you get on that spot, the yield is to the other direction. People coming up from, uh, coming down River Road past Sikorsky there, they have a yield sign. They're supposed to wait and I'm, I'm, I'm coming up uh, there and a car just pulls right up in front of me and does not yield and I had to put on my brakes and Matthew was in the car and Matthew says, hold on dad, don't get upset with him. You did the same thing to someone last week. And I looked at him, I said, will you shut your mouth? <laughs> I'm glad I have, uh, I have the Holy Spirit living inside of me and then three other Holy Spirits to live in my house too, <laughs> named Angela, Matthew, and April. They keep me on my toes, amen? Yield, yield. When you come to that intersection, you are supposed to allow the, 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 the other cars to go. And then when the path is clear, then you go. Look at verse 13. With that in mind, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. Look here. But yield yourselves unto God. 
as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Look at verse 16. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Look down at verse 19. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye yield yourselves members, servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even as even so now yield your members, servants to righteousness unto holiness. Listen, listen here, listen here. If you are bucking God's authority then you're yielding to Satan's authority. And if you're bucking Satan's authority, then you're yielding to the Lord's authority. Who's riding on your back into town? Is it the devil telling you what to do and where to go and how to live? Or is it the Lord who's riding on your back into town telling you where to go, what to do, how to speak, and where to live? Who are you obeying? To whom are you yielding You see, this colt, no one had ever ridden upon him. His very nature was to buck off Jesus. But instead of bucking off Jesus, he simply yielded his back to that of the Lord and went riding right into town, fulfilling his purpose. The Lord has a purpose for your life. But you cannot do that purpose if you're constantly bucking authority. This is a story about trust. This is a story about obedience. Now, let me tie the two together. The entire Christian life is about trust and obey. Trust and obey. Sing the chorus with me if you know it. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. When you learn to trust God, you don't need an explanation as to everything. And then you just go do it. Oh my, you have put yourself in a place of maximizing true joy in your heart. This is a story about trust. This is a story about obedience. Notice number three. This is a story about humility. This is a story about humility. Let's take a moment and look at the person of Jesus. Mark chapter number 11 Look at verse number 7. Mark chapter number 11. Look at verse number 7. The Bible says, And they brought the colt to Jesus and cast their garments on him, and he sat upon him. Now, this act was prophesied hundreds of years prior by the prophet Zechariah. Zechariah in chapter 9, verse 9, reads, Rejoice greatly, O daughters of Zion, shout, O daughters of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh upon thee. He is just and having salvation. Notice this word, lowly, lowly, and riding upon an ass, and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. And here we have Zechariah prophesying that the King Jesus would enter into Jerusalem, not on the back of a stallion, but on the back of a lowly cold. He would do it in a form that was lowly, lowly. Uh, Listen, uh, humility in the Christian life. Humility in the Christian life. Um, We all battle with the sin of pride. All of us. All of us. All of us are uh, stubborn and proud. And we all are worried about what we think. How many of you had some sort of an argument or discussion or tiff with someone this week. Would you hold up your hand? You had an argument, discussion, tiff. You got into an emotional um, battle with someone this week. You walked away upset with someone this week. There's a whole bunch of people in here just not telling the truth. Amen? (laughs) Not me, Pastor. My marriage is perfect. Not me, Pastor. My boss is perfect. All right? I was over visiting a church member's house years ago, and, and they were all worked up when I got there. And I said, what's wrong? What's the problem? And they said, the wind blew some of my leaves onto my neighbor's lawn. He about came over here and beat me up <laughs> over the wind. I, the wind. I didn't put my leaves on his property. The wind did. And, uh, man, I mean, sometimes we're just going on living our life, and other people get upset with us, right? We do nothing wrong, and, and then our pride gets stirred up, and we, and we get all worked up, and we get all upset. And, 
And listen, Jesus is a model of humility. We're called to be humble, to walk humbly before thy God. Let me give you an A and a B here out of this uh, story of uh, the triumphant entry of Christ. Notice letter A, Jesus became our servant. Jesus became our servant. Some people have what I'll call fake humility. You know what humility is? Humility, let me start with what humility isn't. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself. Humility is not thinking of yourself at all. You know, some people walk around and it's just self-deprecating, and it's not humor, it's just self-deprecating comments. Well, I'm not good at that, and I'm not so good at this, and... And, I, you know, I'm just uh, not very good looking. And um, we know. Amen. We know. <laughs> yeah, my car doesn't work very well. And I pull. You got Eeyore syndrome, right? That's not humility. That's not humility. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's just not thinking of yourself at all. When you come to a door and there's a bunch of people behind you, is your thought that I've got to be the first one through and everyone else can get the door for themselves? Or is it that I'll hold the door while everyone goes in front of me? And it's not, well, I'm so great because I hold the door for everybody. Right? You just don't think about it. It's just who you are. It's, it's second, it becomes second nature. There's one donut left. You hear about the preacher that went over to uh, uh, this home for uh, uh, lunch on a Sunday and, and uh, the particular uh, dining room did not have any windows that let any natural light in. And They're having fried chicken and the pastor's favorite food was fried chicken. And uh, there were several children at this home and, and, uh, and everyone got a piece and he looks around and he sees the kids are just devouring their chicken. And uh, it was one of these deals where there's one piece left, whoever got done first got that last piece of chicken. Well, the pastor was hungry, and he loved fried chicken. And so he, he just, I mean, scarfed that chicken down. And, and it was a race to get the last little bit of meat off the bone. And right when he went to reach for that piece of chicken, the lights went out. And about five seconds later, the lights came back on, and there were five forks stuck in that pastor's hand. You know what deference says is, look, you can have that piece of chicken. I, I don't care. You can have that donut. You, 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 go ahead. I, I will defer to you. Uh, how about when we're driving, right? How many of you have that person who wants to get on your tail and ride three inches off your bumper? And uh, Listen, don't be that guy. Amen. Don't be that lady. Amen? Don't do that, right? Listen, it's okay if someone goes in front of you I'm preaching to myself right now. It's okay if someone else goes in front of you and you get there 20 seconds later than you would have. Amen? Amen? Amen. Deference. Humility. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's just not thinking of yourself at all. Jesus was our servant. Um, Turn over to Matthew chapter number 23. Matthew chapter 23. Jesus entered into a culture when he was born here on earth. He entered into a culture uh, where uh, there were servants and masters. Servants and masters. There was a pecking order that you climbed up and the higher up that pecking order you got, the more people served you. You did less and less for yourself and uh, there were people who did more and more for you and, and, and to be great meant you had all kinds of people that you bossed around and told what to do. But Jesus said, that's not how it's supposed to work. Look at verse 10. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. This has been called the triumphant entry, and rightfully so, but this is not the entry that the Jews would have wanted. They were looking for their Messiah to come riding in, not on the back of a colt, an unbroken in colt, on the back of, of some borrowed horse. 
they were looking for Jesus to come riding in on a stallion, a beautiful stallion, uh, with a coat of armor on and an army behind him to overthrow Roman rule and set up a political kingdom where Israel's back at the forefront. Israel's the big deal. They were looking for Jesus to be their political revolutionary, but Jesus did not come to be a political revolutionary. He came to bring about a spiritual revolution of salvation from sin. Jesus came in on the back of a donkey instead of the back of a stallion. and Jesus was... Lowly. Turn over to Philippians 2. We're going to look at this passage uh, a couple of times in the next few minutes here. Philippians chapter 2. If you're in Mark, it's a handful of books to the right. You get to Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and then you get three small books. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. So go to Philippians. If you make it to Colossians, you've gone too far. Philippians 2. It's a short book. I think four, four chapters in it. Look at verse number 3. Four or five chapters. Look at verse number 3. It says here, let nothing, nothing be done through strife or vainglory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Look at verse 5. Let's read it together. Ready? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You know what Jesus was? He was a servant. You know what it means to have the mind of Christ? Are you listening? It means you have the mind of a lowly servant. You esteem others better than yourself. We have a world filled with being pushed, a push toward self-esteem, self-esteem, self-esteem. I'm sorry, my friend, self-esteem is not found in the Bible. It's esteeming Christ, and it's esteeming others, and it's Jesus, then others, then you. That's how we find our way to joy. It's esteeming Jesus, then others, and then, well after we've taken care of the Lord and others, then you might find some time for yourself. It's Jesus, others, you. And you know what Jesus says here? That if you want, or Paul says here, if you want the mind of Christ, then you have to learn to be lowly. You have to learn to be a servant. You have to learn to put the needs of others before the needs of yourself. The humility of Christ, we see that Jesus was a servant. Letter B, we see Jesus became our sacrifice. Jesus became our sacrifice. Look back at Philippians 2 and look at verse number 6. It says, Who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Look at verse 7. We, we see verse 6 describing the divinity of Christ. Verse 7 is going to talk about the humanity of Christ. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. We're going to read verse 8 in just a minute. I want you to listen up here to me. Jesus before he came to earth, sat in a throne room where holy, holy, holy was declared all day every day. Jesus sat in a throne room where he had the richest of riches bestowed upon him. Jesus sat in a throne room where he was the hero of heaven. And he left that to be born to peasants in the middle of nowhere where shepherds came and celebrated his birth as he was laid in a feeding trough in swaddling clothes. You understand, Jesus was the richest, rich of rich, richest of rich, and he became the poorest of poor for you and me. Why did he do that? Because he came here not to be celebrated by man. He came here to suffer the condemnation of man. Everybody listening this morning? You can't get to heaven by being a good person. You can't do it. I don't care how good you are. You fall way short of being perfect. And that's the standard God's looking for for you to get into heaven. Perfect. God did not give us the law for me and you to brag about how much better we are at keeping it than someone else. He gave us the law as a schoolmaster to show us that we all fall short. God looked down from heaven at you and me and He saw that we were condemned. 
under the broken law of sin. He saw we were condemned. If I could use a stronger word, he saw that we were damned to hell. God looked down at us with, uh, with compassion and he said, I'm going to find a way for others to get to heaven. It's all right, listen up here. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He who was rich became poor. So we that are poor could become rich. Turn over to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. How much does God hate your sin? How much does God hate your transgressions and your wickedness? So much that He had to have His Son go through a grueling, brutal death to trade places with you. You understand that's what the cross is. It's God trading places with you. It's God looking down at you and saying, you deserve hell. I'm going to put my son through hell for you. In the Old Testament, they had sacrifices. They would lay animals up on an altar. And and then uh, you would come, the guilty party would come and put your hands on the head of that animal and guilt would be transferred from you onto the animal. Then the animal would be killed right there. There it is, killed right there. The animal would be butchered and slain and the blood would run down all over the altar. That animal was suffering for, for the, the sinner in its place and Jesus became that sacrifice on the cross. Your sin and my sin was laid on Him and Jesus died in our place. Look at verse 28, John 19. After this, Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now, there, were, uh, there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. What was finished? What was finished? He finished paying the price for your sin. My friend, if you could just be good to get to heaven, why did Jesus have to pay for the price of your sin on the cross? Oh, we are condemned to hell beneath the penalty of sin. And Jesus came and He paid that penalty and He offers to you eternal life. You know, if Jesus had come riding in on a stallion wearing a crown and a robe of royalty, they would have never put him on a cross. He came in on the back of a colt with fanfare to people who were um, sitting on the fringe. And, and he came in riding into town only to be crucified just a handful of days later. What is this about? It's a story about humility. Now, I, I want everyone to understand the gospel. I wanted to take a moment and, and, and make sure that I got that in there. And if you're here today or watching online and you've never put your faith in Jesus to save you, understand that through His humility, you can have heaven. Because He suffered, you can have salvation. God's just simply looking for you to believe and receive. Believe and receive. But when we say this is a story about humility, I want to ask you this question. If the Lord Jesus could embrace humility, don't you think it's time that you embrace humility in your life? We're so concerned about the acceptance of others and the praise of others. It's not about that. It's about being a servant. It's about making sacrifices for the betterment of man. We see this is a story about trust. It's a story about obedience. It's a story about humility. Quickly, number four, I'm almost done. Notice, this is a story about consistency. This is a story about consistency. Well, what about the crowd that day that laid the palm branches down at the feet of Jesus? Let's talk about them for just a moment here. Let me give you an A and a B. I'm going to give them to you back to back, and then I'll share my thoughts. Notice letter A. Notice their adoration outside of Jerusalem. Look at verse number 8, Mark chapter 11. And look at verse number 8. 
The Bible says, And many spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches off the trees, and shrawled them in the way. And uh, they went before, and they, uh, they that followed cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Their adoration of Jesus outside of Jerusalem, notice letter B, their anonymity inside of Jerusalem. Their anonymity inside of Jerusalem. Matthew 21. I'm going to read it. If you want to join me over there, I'll give you a moment to turn, those of you that want to do that. Matthew 21. We find um, the same story of of, uh, Jesus' triumphant entry on that Palm Sunday. But some more details are given in Matthew about what happened right after he entered uh, Jerusalem or right on the heels of his entering. Now, again, on the outskirts of town, the people praise him. Once he gets into town, boy, things change a little bit. Verse 15, the Bible says that when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. And they said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus said unto them, Yea, have ye never read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings as thou perfected praise? A quote from Psalm chapter 8. And he left them and went out of the city into Bethany and he lodged there. Now, I just want to make one observation here. You have adults praising him on the outskirts of town. Here he is in the temple flipping over tables and running money changers off. Where are the adults? The children are here praising him. The adults are nowhere to be found. John chapter 19, verse 13. I want to read some verses here for you. John 19. Just listen intently with me, if you would. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was the presentation of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he saith unto the Jews... Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he bearing his cross went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him on either side and Jesus in the midst. I've heard some people say that the crowd that praised Jesus on Palm Sunday was the same crowd condemning him here in Pilate's Hall. I'm going to tell you right now, I don't believe that to be true. There may have been some in both, uh, uh, both parties, but I, I don't think that's generally the case. Here's what I think happened. I think you had people who loved Jesus outside of Jerusalem. And you had people who hated Jesus inside of Jerusalem. And I just want to ask this question. Where were all the people that Jesus healed to stand up to this revolt? Where were all the people that Jesus loved on and changed their lives when it came time to stand up to those who wanted to crucify Him? Can I tell you where they were? Are you listening this morning? They were in hiding. You see, they praised Him on the outskirts of Jerusalem when it was easy. But they were nowhere to be found when it was hard. This is a story about consistency. You see, it's easy to nod your head up and down to the Word of God when you're sitting in a room full of people who believe what you believe. But how about when you go home and you face family members who don't agree with you? Can you take a stand for Jesus then? How about when you go to work and God's name is being taken in vain and dirty jokes are being told in the break room and things are being said that you know are against God's Word? Can you be a shining light there as well? Can, I'm not saying you need to get in someone's face and let them have it. That's not the place of a Christian. What I am saying is that you can be a shining light and let everyone know you love Jesus. 
How about at school? Talk to the teenagers for a minute. How about at school? I went to a Christian school my whole life. Can I tell you, I had to learn how to stand, stand up for what was right at a Christian school because not everyone is a Christian at a Christian school. Even fewer are Christians at a public school. If someone could bump him. I'd appreciate that. Thank you. Listening up here? Why was it that the crowd could hail Jesus on the outskirts, but were in hiding when he, got to the in, when he got inside of town because they lacked the courage to stand up for what they believed. They lacked the courage to let the world know that they love the Lord. I just want to say this to you today. Be a Christian on Sunday. Be a Christian on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. Be a Christian at church. Be a Christian at home. Be a Christian at Walmart. Be a Christian on the Merritt Parkway. Be a Christian when you large size your order and they get it wrong. Easter Sunday is next week. We're going to talk about the resurrection of Christ. We've got a whole bunch of door hangers we need to get out in the area. Listen, if your neighbor catches you on their ring doorbell leaving a door hanger, it's okay. They know you love Jesus. Amen? Amen? You be a Christian in your neighborhood. This is a story about consistency. Jesus knew they, they were going to run into hiding. Because he was God, but I think it probably hurt him all the same. When Jesus sees that we're ashamed of him, I think he's probably a little ashamed of us. He was willing to hang naked on a cross for you. He was willing to die for you. Are you willing to live for him? Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Trust, obedience, humility, consistency. Oh, there's more we could extract out of the passage, but where has the Lord spoken to your heart this morning? Maybe you need to work on trusting God a little bit more. Quit having to have an explanation about everything before you will take one step for the Lord. Maybe you're struggling with bucking authority and bucking God's authority in your life and only doing the parts of Christianity that are convenient to you. And Maybe you need to just let the Lord rest on your back, if you will, and let Him tell you how to live. Maybe you're filled with pride and you fight with everyone around you. You're filled with strife and vainglory. You need to embrace humility and become a servant. Maybe it's that consistency of being a Christian everywhere you go and not being ashamed of your Savior. 